You are listening to audio from the Mariner campus of CA Church, located in Coquitlam, British Columbia. We hope this message helps you grow in your personal relationship with Jesus. Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning, good morning. Yeah. Welcome to church. My name is David, one of the pastors here. And uh, just, just to give you a heads up, um, next week is Christmas. Yeah. Well, next week is the 24th, Christmas Eve. And so I want to just let um, especially the men know that. Next week <laughs> is Christmas. Now, I don't know if it helps, but I haven't started my shopping either, so <laughs> got lots of time. Actually, I did make it to the mall uh, this past week. Yes, once a year, I make my pilgrimage to the temple of the Coquitlam Center. And I walk in, and, and, and my kids will know. If I, if I ask them, I say, you know, what is one thing I say every time I enter into that temple? I say, I hate them all. <laughs> I just hate it. I hate it, I hate it, but once a year, I will make the pilgrimage, yep. Now, it's a busy time of year. It is a busy time of year. And, um, but I have to say, this season of Advent, especially in, in, in recent, you know, recent years, I've really grown to enjoy Advent. But this time of year, I feel like that. I feel, yeah. <laughs> I haven't always enjoyed Christmas. I haven't always enjoyed Christmas. In fact, some of my memories of this time of year are, are far from pleasant, um, and every year, I actually remember one particular Christmas that took place in 1993, in the days of yore. Um, and I, I was living and I was working overseas, as some of you know. Um, I was living and working in Shanghai at the time. And I remember one particular Christmas Eve that was especially depressing. And uh, I remember I was, I was working for this company and um, we went to a bar on Christmas Eve. And I uh, went to this bar, and there's some Christmas decorations, but it didn't really make a lot of sense. It was just kind of strange. And, and I just remember feeling really heavy that night. Um, my life was a bit of a mess at the time. I'd kind of given up on finding meaning to this life of mine, so I was trying to find something in, in, in money or power or pleasure, thinking that those things might deliver and I remember one Christmas Eve going to a bar with, uh, with some of my colleagues. And um, we spent the night um, just, just drinking. We drank, we drank too much. And uh, we got into a cab and we were heading back to our hotel where we were living. You know one of the most lonely places in the world is a hotel? And so we we're heading, we were all living in this hotel at the time. And so we we're heading back. And as we're driving along, um, out of nowhere comes a dump truck. And a dump truck hits us straight on. And I have no idea how we lived. Um, all I can think of is that um, we, the, the cab that we're in, 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 in China, they're called uh, which is uh, translated as loaf of bread car. Um, <laughs> And so the car weighed like 85 pounds, right? It's just a little tin box. 
And so the truck hit us so hard. So the only thing I can think of is that it just hit us like a, this light. And we, so we just went flying across the road. The whole vehicle just flew across the road and then skidded to a stop. And then we carried on driving <laughs> to the hotel. And I remember getting back to the hotel, coming up to my room, and just thinking to myself, what just happened? How is it that I'm still alive? And then I was looking at my life, and I was just like, man, my life is such a mess. Now, some of you here this morning, when you think of Christmas, it's a tough time of year for you, too. You have rough memories, or maybe you're going through some rough times right now. And it's hard. It's hard, especially if you're going through difficult times, to see all the shiny, happy people around you. It just makes it worse. And for me, I never knew tidings of comfort and joy. I was like uh, the people in, in the ancient prophecy in the book of Isaiah. I was, I was like people walking in darkness. I was walking in deep darkness, spinning my wheels, going nowhere. And I've shared this before, but I was also quite afraid. I was afraid that perhaps, perhaps, this life of mine had no meaning and no purpose. And now that's a scary place, especially... I'll say for men, when they think that there's no purpose, there's no meaning to life, um, then you ask the question, what's the point of living? And that's the question I was asking. And I would guess that some of you might be in that place here this morning. Your heart is heavy. And it's even worse because of the time of year we're in. So I want to say to you this morning something that a friend of mine said to me about six weeks, seven weeks after that accident. Um, he said to me these words. He says, David, the light has come. The light has come. We've been doing a series on the light and looking at John chapter 1. So if you have a Bible, turn to John chapter 1. And we'll read the beginning of the gospel of John together. John chapter 1. In honor of God's word, let's stand together as I read this. We read these words. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Now, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, 
He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. Jesus, you are the word. You are the same yesterday, today, and forever. You are present with us this morning. And so we ask that you would speak to us, that you would reveal yourself to us. In your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So the story of Advent is this, that the light has come. The light has come. And what this means is that the second person of the Godhead, the the second person, the one who is called the Word, who is with God, who was God, the eternal Word, Jesus the Christ, the mystery of God himself has come. The light has come into the world. The light has come into the world. The Word has entered into fragile human flesh as a fragile human being into space and time. Now, we need to get this because it's, it's easy to forget that, that our faith is historical. Our faith is rooted in history. We believe in a person and an event. The person is Jesus Christ. The event is his incarnation, his life, his death, and his resurrection. We believe something happened in history. There's a down-to-earth realism here. And for all of us, something has happened. Something has happened and it has changed the trajectory of history and has changed the trajectory of our lives. Jesus, the light of the world, has come into space, into time, into history, and things will never be the same again. Now, I say this, and I would guess that some of you are sitting to yourself, and, 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 and you want to be polite, Maybe you're brought here by a friend, and so you don't want to say anything. But in your heart of hearts, you're thinking, yeah, right. The light has come. I don't buy it. And you're probably thinking, you know what, the old question that you hear in a bar, says who? Says who? How do you know? How do you know, David? That the light is coming. I mean, it sounds good. In fact, it sounds too good to be true. How can you say this actually happened? Well, I would say a big part of this, that we know that the light has come, is because of eyewitnesses to the event. There are eyewitnesses to the person in the event. And then I can hear you saying, yeah, yeah, but how can we trust them? How can we trust these guys? But I have to ask you the question, well, why, why can't we trust them? I mean, if there's enough people from various backgrounds and interests who are eyewitnesses and give testimony to the person in the event of Jesus, why should they be discounted? Because you have to realize, in the olden days, in the first century, if you had said God became man, it was weird to hear even back then. 
It's not like, well, in the olden days, God always became man. No, no, especially in a Greco-Roman mindset, God became man, God became flesh, impossible, ridiculous. Absolutely not. The impassable becoming human? So even in the first century, this is, this is quite the statement to make. The other thing is, in the olden days, even back in the first century, dead people tended to stay dead. And when they were no longer dead and raised to new life, even in the olden days, that was pretty surprising. Because people who die usually stay dead. So it's not like, well, in the olden days, everybody believed that people came to life again. No, they didn't. And so people were surprised. And when you see someone who's come back to life, you're liable to say, hey, this is pretty strange. Let me tell you what I just saw. There are witnesses who tell us that something incredible has happened in history. There's a fellow named Richard Balcom, who's a uh, professor of history in the New Testament from Cambridge. And he's written a really interesting book, and it's called Jesus and the Eyewitnesses. And in the book, he just says, hey, you can't just d- dismiss w- uh, eyewitnesses. There's a lot of them. So who are some of these witnesses? Let's, let's look at a few of them. Who's the key witness in our passage? What's his name? We get his name. John the Baptist, right? John the Baptist. He shows up actually in all four of the Gospels. Um, he shows up at the beginning of each of the Gospels, and he consistently points and prepares people for the coming of the light. And I love the way he's introduced, because you have this just kind of beautiful, in the beginning was a word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And it sounds really good. And then it says, and there was this guy whose name was John. <laughs> like, it's kind of, oh, right? Down to, down to history. There was this guy named John who saw a bunch of things. It's ordinary stuff in an ordinary world, but with extraordinary meaning. So John, this guy John, John the Baptist, is a man sent by God to bear witness to the light. Somehow he had got connected to God, and he's come, and he's got one purpose, one purpose, and that is to point people to the light, to Jesus. Now, as it turns out, this John the Baptist is the last of a great line of, of prophets who from the time of the Old Testament speak forth the truths of God. In our passage, he points to the coming of Jesus. And so when he, when he sees Jesus and he points to Jesus, he even says something about Jesus. What does he say? He says, look, behold, the, what's he call him? The Lamb of God. And we think, oh, yes, behold, the Lamb of God. You know, to call somebody a lamb in the first century is not actually, he's got some ominous undertones because you sacrifice lambs, right? And he says, look, the Lamb of God. And here's the other thing I want you to notice is that John the Baptist, he's a charismatic fellow. If he was here right now, we, we would spot him. We would, he would kind of stand out. Um, his clothes were a bit strange. His diet was even stranger, locusts and honey. Um, and like many charismatic leaders, um, we would spot him. And the other thing about a charismatic leader is he, uh, charismatic leaders have followers. And so there's people following John. But we have to get this. Every step of the way, what do we see John doing? Rather than building up a following, he's constantly telling his followers to look. Look. And then you find followers of John 
turning away from John and following Jesus. And so John's posture is that of a witness. Look. And so John is our primary witness. But, but there's another witness in this passage. There's another witness. And he's kind of in the backdrop. He's kind of behind the scenes. Every now and then in the story, he shows up. But he's, 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 he's a witness. And what's his name? Give you a hint. It's also John. <laughs> yeah. It's another. Yeah, it's, it's the author of the Gospel of John. And, and he's kind of in the backdrop. Every now and then he enters into the story. And, and we know that he's a witness because we read right at the very end of the book of John, he says these words. He says, now John, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples. He's one of them. Uh, that are not written in his book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ. At the very end, he says, I'm the disciple. This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things. Who has written these things? And we know that his testimony is true. Later, John writes a letter. First John, it says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. He's made manifest. We have seen it. And we testify that it's true. So John's gospel is written by a very close follower of Jesus who says, look, look, this is what I saw. I heard him say, I touched him. I know, I know this to be true. And so they're pretty key witnesses. And I don't know if we can just write them off. Now, there's other witnesses along the way. Of course, Mary might be a good witness since she gave birth uh, <laughs> to the light. Uh, there's another woman named Mary who was rescued out of great darkness. There's the other gospel writers, Matthew, um, uh, Mark, and Luke. Um, there's other disciples, apostles, a lot of women who follow Jesus. And there's a guy named Paul. A guy named Paul who ends up writing much of the New Testament. Um, and, and in his writings, he makes this almost casual reference. It's interesting. He, makes a ca and he said, oh, by the way, hundreds of people saw the resurrected Jesus. By the way. And so my point is simply this. One, there's lots of witnesses. And two, you can't simply dismiss these witnesses. They have all one thing in common. They're given testimony to the fact that in history, the light has come. But there's more witnesses. There are witnesses throughout history whose lives have been radically transformed because of the coming of the light. Who will say to you, look, <laughs> I once was blind, but now I see. Right? I once was lost, but now I'm found. Now, I had a friend of mine years ago, and it's, it's one of the most... Um, Powerful pictures, testimonies to the coming of the light that, that I can remember. And uh, it, was, it was a long time ago. I'd, I'd just become a Christian. And I was working in Vancouver. I was working at, uh, <laughs> some of you work retail at Christmas time. Yes, that's a fun time. I used to work, and a big surprise, in a bookstore. Um, I worked in a bookstore at Oak Ridge Mall. And, um, and it was a good place. I enjoyed working there. Um, it was pretty... Most of my colleagues there really had no time for Christians. So it was a little intense at times. But there was one colleague of mine, and he was a Christian, and, and he and I developed a pretty good friendship. Always made fun because his name was Khalig, 
and I say you're my colleague, Khalig, um, but he's, he was Eastern Orthodox, and so it's kind of an Eastern branch of the church. And so one day, Khalig asked me, he says, hey, David, uh, can you do me a favor? I said, sure. He goes, um, can, can you come and give some moral support to me and some of my friends? I said, sure, what are you doing? He says, well, we're, we're going to, we write poetry. And we're going to do a poetry reading at this place on, on Commercial Drive. And it's a, it's a pretty rough place from what we know. And uh, it'd be good to have somebody there. I'm like, sure, sure. And so I thought, well, you know, there's a girl that I like. Maybe I'll invite her along, see if she'll come with me. And, and she did, and she ended up marrying me. Um, <laughs> And so I said, hey, Karen, do you want to come to, to this poetry reading? Where is it? Ah, somewhere on Commercial Drive. And we got there. I'm like, oh, I'm so sorry. Please go ahead on another date with me. Because uh, it, it was a rough place. I don't think the place is around anymore. But it was a rough place. And so we walked in there. It was quite dark. And I saw my friends. And, uh, and they were sitting there. But it, it was hostile. And the crowd was hostile. And I remember in front of me, there was a guy... He was sitting there, and, and he was kind of like a skinhead. You know, he had Doc Martin boots on. And, the, and, he, and he was just mocking everybody who went up. And especially as my Christian friends went up, he would just, holla, blankety, blank, hallelujah. He'd just start yelling, right? And then behind us, I remember behind us, there was this guy, and I don't know what his problem was, but he was kind of flipping out, and he was like, dancing, kind of weird dancing, and taking off his clothes, and then putting his clothes back on, and taking off his clothes, and he's dancing. I'm like, <laughs> sorry, Karen. <laughs> and like, because it was kind of a, a rough place. And then my friends would go up, and they'd read poetry, and, and, and these guys would yell and swear at them. I'm like, oh, man, this is rough. And then I remember my friend's wife went up, and she went up with her friend. And oh, I'll never forget this. She went up and she says, look, I, I get it. You know, this might be unusual for, for you guys, but um, we're actually not going to read poetry right now. What we'd like to do is sing for you. And what we'd like to do is sing Eastern Orthodox chant. I don't know if you've ever heard Eastern Orthodox chant. And they held a candle. These two young, young, young girls going up to sing. And I'll never forget this. They began to sing. And I swear, the light got brighter and brighter and brighter. The skinhead went quiet. The guy who was dancing stopped. Everything went quiet. And the light grew and grew and grew, and the darkness receded. And it was one of the most powerful experiences I've ever had. And I thought, man, the light has come. And the darkness recedes. And my point is this, is that there are people, many of you who can give testimony, can give witness to the fact that the light has come. And I'll tell you one guy I'm really glad who gave witness to me. His name was Jeff. And he met me in a hotel in Hong Kong. 
about six weeks after that accident, and he said to me, David, the light has come. And my life was never the same again. So what do all these witnesses have in common? I think two things. Two things. One is that they're willing to be a witness. And secondly, they're willing to bear witness. What does it mean to be a witness? Well, to be a witness is simply to point away from yourself. To be a witness is to get out of the way so that people can see the light of the world. You notice that when John's followers begin to leave and follow Jesus, John doesn't say, hey, come back. You belong to me. He says, no, go. I need to what? Decrease. And Jesus needs to increase. It's not about me. And a big part of the witness, big part of being a witness is getting out of the way and realizing that it's not about us at all. Our role as a witness is to just point how great Jesus is. And I've said this before. I mean, nobody likes to be talked at. I hate when people talk at me. David, you need to follow Jesus, and you need to... I'm like, ah, stop pointing at me. Our goal, our, our posture as witnesses is, I've said this before, is to come beside and say, man, I'm in the same boat as you. Look how beautiful Jesus is. Just look. Just look at him. And so our posture is not to look at ourselves, but to point to Jesus. But the problem is, is that we don't do that very well as Christians. As Christians, we often get in the way. And so what do we do? We, instead of pointing to Jesus, we say, point, look, look, at, yeah, look at me as I follow Jesus. Now, this is a very dangerous thing to do. I've shared this before, but I had a a friend of mine one time, we were out running, and he said to me, he goes, oh, Pastor David, he goes, "Uh, the one thing I want to do in life more than anything else is to be a man of God. And I said, that's really stupid. (laughs) And he says, what? Should we not want to be men of God, women of God? You know, I said, no. I said, because you'll be so focused on becoming a man of God, you'll miss Jesus. And you try to become a man of God without Jesus, then you're just going to be putting on masks. It's going to be self-righteous because you can't live up to Jesus, so I just have to be better than somebody else, so self-righteousness. But here's the other danger. If I start saying, instead of pointing to Jesus, look at Jesus in me, what happens? If I have a charismatic personality, well, this is how cults are formed. Do you want to know how you can tell what a cult is? A cult is always Jesus and and it's the and that takes over Jesus. That's how you know what a cult is. And the other thing is, is that if you have a charismatic personality, and you're pointing people to yourself, look at Jesus and me, and, and you have a position of power, well, this is where a lot of abuse can take place. And we read about Christian leaders hitting the ditch. It's because they stopped pointing to the light, and they conflated themselves with the light. So it's dangerous. Okay, so what does it mean to be a witness? Well, we need to be like John. We decrease and Jesus increases. And we need to embrace humility. And what humility is, is not being a doormat. Being humility is not thinking less of yourself, but just thinking about yourself less. 
So C.S. Lewis says. So we're called to be a witness, and finally we're called to bear witness. What does it mean to bear witness? It means we're to carry the truth of who Jesus is in our head and in our heart and be willing to share this good news to anyone who comes across our path. And what is this truth? Well, the light has come. The world's long expectation has been realized. The kingdom of God has broken into this world and the world will never be the same again because Jesus was raised to life. When we put our faith in him, death will not have the final word, but life will. And our lives will only work insofar as they're connected to Jesus. Jesus says, I am the first and the last. I am the beginning and the end. I am the alpha and the omega. All reality is found in Jesus. And so when our lives are, are in sync with the architect of this world, when we build our lives according to the architect, that's what the beginning means, the arche, then our lives will work the way they're supposed to work. We wonder why our lives aren't working. It's because we're trying to build them according to a plan outside of the architect's plan. And of course we're going to hit a ditch. And the truth is, is that history is not circular. It's not just going to repeat itself. But it has a beginning and an end. And we live between two advents, the first coming of Jesus, the second coming. We, re- we sang Joy to the World. That's a song actually about the second coming. It's not a Christmas song. Jesus has entered into the details of history. We need to know that. And Jesus loves us by name. I've said this before, but, but we got to get this. God does not love humanity. God loves you, right? He loves you, and he knows everything about you. So he doesn't love humanity. He loves you. His love is so infinite, he can love us finitely in the details of our lives. The truth is the light has come once and for all, and because of this, as Julian of Norwich in the 14th century says, all shall be well. Now, there's one more awkward truth that I need to <laughs> bear. <laughs> yeah, one more. Um, does anybody know, just for fun, does anybody know um, what the Greek word is for witness? Any, any Greek geeks, uh, uh, scholars here? <laughs> anybody know? It's this word called martyrus. Guess which word we get from that? Martyr, yeah. There's an intimate connection between witness and martyrdom. History has shown and continues to show that not everyone likes the light. I didn't like the light. And the reality is, is that every follower of Jesus, every every of the disciples, they're, they're all killed, except for John. John's exiled to Patmos. John the Baptist is beheaded. And this is carried on to today where every year, over and over again, the most persecuted group in the world are Christians. But if, if life is found in Jesus, how can we not bear witness? So how do we respond to all this? Well, we need to be a witness. Don't get in the way. It's not about us. The paradox of the Christian life is when we lose our life, we find it. We're called to bear witness, so we need to know the truth and proclaim it with grace and love, but recognize there's a cost to discipleship. 
But the most important response is captured in this passage in one word. One word. Believe. Now notice John doesn't say deeply believe. He doesn't say sincerely believe. He doesn't say try really hard to believe. Because if you had all those qualifiers, it would be all about us. Am I, am I believing enough? Am I trusting enough? No, no. John just said believe. Just believe. Do you know what my, my beautiful prayer was when I came to faith? This, this very sophisticated prayer that I prayed in a hotel room in Shanghai. My, my, my sophisticated prayer was this. God, if you're real, I'm in. That's it. I was tired of being God in my life. I make a lousy God. I was tired of trying to instill some kind of meaning and purpose into my life. I was tired of that. And so I just said, you know what? I'm done. I'm done. God, if you're the real thing, I'm in. That was it. I'll tell you, though, when I said that, oh, oh. It's like a weight came off my back. And I felt free. I felt free. I'm not in charge anymore. But the one who is in charge, he actually knows everything about me. He knit me together in my mother's womb. He knows everything about me. And I can trust him, and he loves me. God, if you're the real thing, I'm in. And some of you may be here this morning, and maybe even for the first time, you're like, you know what? My, my, heart's, my heart's feeling something. My heart's feeling strangely warm. Well, maybe your response, the invitation, is just to say, I'm in. God, if you're the real McCoy, I'm in. And some of you may be here this morning, and you're like, yeah, I've, I've messed up too much. I, I used to believe that, but I, there's, not, there's not a chance that God would want me back. He's got to be so mad at me of the things that I've done, things that I haven't done, that I should have been doing. There's no way he'd want me back. Well, here's the thing. Because of the cross, God is a God of infinite chances. And our starting point is always that we can draw near the throne of grace because of the cross. And so it doesn't matter where you're at. If you're feeling far away, you say, God, (laughs) I'm in. Take me back. And you know what? I guarantee you he will receive you with open arms. But will you come back? Let's pray. Jesus, we come before you recognizing that we are completely dependent upon you. You are the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. All meaning is found in you. All history is found in you. And the structure of our lives will only make sense when they're built in you. And Lord, we confess that we have, we've, we've been looking all the wrong places, trying to instill some kind of meaning and purpose into our life. Meanwhile, you've invited us into something so much bigger than ourselves. You've invited us into your story of salvation. We're thankful for the cross. We're thankful that that, uh, that Jesus died the death that we should have died, paid the penalty that we could never, that we should have paid, paid it on our behalf, died the death that we should have died, but did not stay dead, but was raised to new life. And now in him, we know 
when we believe in him, that the worst thing we experience will not be the last thing, but the last thing will be life, light, and love. And so we declare the light has come, and we turn our faces towards you. Receive us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message. If you've been listening to our sermons, but you're not a part of a church community, we would love to have you join us. You can go to cachurch.ca to find out more about getting involved in the life and mission of CA Church.